Hi, my name is Jen, and welcome to A Wild and Precious Life, where each week I invite guests to share how one of my articles on Medium relates to their experiences in life. I write about a lot of different topics, but all share a common theme, how to live an authentic life in a messy world. I hope this podcast inspires you as you listen to my guests laugh, share, and discover the beauty in their one wild and precious life. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of A Wild and Precious Life. We are back on Wednesdays and I am so thankful for all of you that have checked in and um, checked on me this past month. I was dealing with some crazy stuff, but enough of that. It will be shared at a later date. But for now, this week, I want to tell you about my guest. I'm really, really excited. I have Alana Sharps. She is a high-conflict divorce coach, the author of the best-selling book, Was It My Fault?, where she details her own journey of narcissistic abuse during her marriage and after her divorce and how she struggled to um, find a new path. Even if you aren't divorced, I hope that you'll take a listen to this because we all deal with narcissistic personalities um, in different ways. It could be professionally. I know I've had some malignant narcissists in my professional life or just personally, people that you encounter throughout your day-to-day life. And Alana has some really good tips for dealing with those situations. Uh, This episode was inspired by an article that I read, so I'm going to read a little snippet of that before we get started with our conversation with Alana. This article can be found, a link in the show notes, and as always, on my website. Co-parenting with a narcissist. Nothing is more devastating in a relationship than the realization that your partner isn't just difficult, but he is, in fact, a narcissist. To further complicate things, it isn't just the two of you in the relationship. Somewhere along the way, you ended up having children. If leaving a narcissist wasn't difficult already, children mean that you'll be tied to your ex until the children are 18 and sometimes longer. If you leave, you and the children will suffer. I can't tell you the number of women who have told me a version of that line. And in true narcissistic form, their narcissist made good on that threat time and time again. I've interviewed women who have spent millions on legal battles, gave up custody, and worked two or three jobs when the narcissist refused to pay child support. The emotional pain and turmoil inflicted by a narcissist is criminal, not only to the former spouse, but to the children as well. Sadly, the narcissist doesn't care. He is only concerned with winning. However, this post isn't about the narcissist. Instead, it's about how you can keep yourself sane while the narcissist and his flying monkeys circle around trying to prove you otherwise. It's a reminder that you're more powerful than you think. You left. You took back control of your life. You protected your children from a toxic environment and reduced their exposure to a malignant person. Sadly, the best way to co-parent with a narcissist is don't. But that isn't an option for many. With that in mind, I wanted to share some facts to help you remember you aren't alone, you aren't crazy, and you are the parent your children need. So I hope you'll check out the full article. Like I said, on my website, you can find it the link in the show notes. But for now, I am so happy to bring to you guys Alana Sharps. See the time. Alana, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you. I wanted to um, get started with you just telling the guests a little bit about you and what you do. 
All right. I am a certified high conflict divorce and child custody consultant. I help people through the legal process of divorcing or going through a child custody battle with a narcissist. I'm also a narcissistic abuse survivor and author of the book, Was It My Fault? That is amazing. I knew that this article would be one that would really resonate with you because um, having dealt with um, narcissists my whole life, I um, know that it can be a really unique challenge when um, dealing with a narcissist in a co-parenting situation, whether it is the actual parent or even sometimes I found in my experience the step-parent can be an extreme narcissist. And sometimes the two of that goes together. And so you have a lot of struggles when trying to create healthy boundaries and appropriate behaviors and model that for your kids. Um, why don't we just kind of get started? Um, what resonated with you when it came to the article? Um, I liked how you talked about the co-parenting with a narcissist because I experienced that myself. There's a lot of counter-parenting that goes on when you're dealing with a narcissist. So you're trying to do healthy things with your children, validate their feelings, do what's in the best interest of the child. And the narcissist typically will do what is the exact opposite? So in my situation, when it became my parenting time, or also known as custodial time, my ex would call me on the phone 15 minutes before my child was supposed to be dropped off and say, he doesn't want to come to your house. He's crying hysterically. He asked to stay with me this week. Can he just stay with me? So every other week when it was my time to get my son, I was going through this. Now, when my son would come into the house... His face looks perfectly fine. His eyes are not swollen. He doesn't look like he's been crying at all. And he runs to me, gives me a hug, and he says, Mom, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, the false narrative. The false so, narrative. Yeah. So that's something that's that happens a lot. Um, they love to ascribe either decide for themselves your why you've done something, what the reasoning behind it was. And it's always comes back to, it was an, in some way to be an affront to them yes. because they don't see the child as a separate human being that has wants and needs and, and needs to be supported. Um, so you cry, like you said, trying to create those healthy boundaries and do healthy things with them. If it doesn't in some way validate the narcissist, then it's immediately being done to, they think, put them down. Correct. So for you to insist that the child come and stay with you when, you know, because it's your time. That's when right. the narcissist, really what they want to hear is you to validate them and go, oh, you must be such a good parent. And Oh, yeah, they definitely should stay with you. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he I wants me to give in. You're exactly right. And when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, over time, that's what you tend to do, right? You tend to give in because you don't want to continue to go through the gaslighting. You don't want to go through the narcissistic rage with them. So you just give in. You let down all of your boundaries and you just tell them either you're right or you just do whatever it is they ask you to do or that they feel they're entitled to. You just do it just to keep the peace. Yeah, it's, it can really be demoralizing because you get to a point where you don't know what you want. Right. Or, it, you know, and you also can't get to the point where it's like 
it's hard to even find common ground because you have that fear of, well, if even if I agree with them in one thing, they're going to take that, you know, an inch, they're going to take a mile. That's right. So it becomes so necessary to have these like very rigid boundaries that to an outsider might even seem unreasonable, but you need them not only just to protect your own sanity, but to protect the children. That's exactly right. So once I left my marriage, I didn't do phone calls because if I did phone calls, that was an opportunity to gaslight me and to put me down, demean me, just further abuse me. So all communication went towards emails and text messages. So that is a boundary that I established after I left the relationship. That's a really good boundary. Yes, things in writing are so important. I um, can remember many times when I would be drawn into, a, tried to be drawn into a conversation with the narcissist. Come here, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Um, sometimes with a flying monkey attached to them, hoping that I could say something that could then be twisted. And my response was always, in these types of situations, you need to send an email. That's right. Send me an email. Let me know what you think. That's exactly right. And they don't like to document things because when they document things, they have to stay within guidelines because they know that other people can read that communication. And they don't want other people to know how they're treating you behind closed doors or in conversations. Exactly. That's exactly right. And even with documentation, I found that um, the rules often just did not apply. Even when they knew the rules, it did not apply. Right. That's exactly right. They can only stay within the boundaries so long and then their true selves start to emerge. Well, they get bored. Yes. And they need that supply from you, right? Whether it's positive or negative, they need that reaction from you. And they want to trigger you to get that reaction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I For many years, I was the queen of triggers um, after just, you know, you know, a lifetime of abuse that culminated into PTSD, I would say that probably my late 30s, early 40s, I was a triggered mess 90% of the time. And some of the people that triggered me, they weren't even narcissists. It wasn't even their fault. That's right. Yes. <laughs> it was the PTSD. Living. Yes. Yes. I've experienced the same thing. It could be a simple word that someone says, and all of a sudden you're reliving an incident that occurred with the narcissist that was very traumatic for you. So I completely understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell everyone a little bit about how you help clients navigate these tricky waters. Um, what are, what are some, what's some advice that you give or what are some steps that you um, suggest? So I actually take them through a process because when you're leaving a narcissistic relationship, you've been traumatized. So a lot of times, like we've been talking about, you're experiencing PTSD, you're reliving events in your head that's causing you to cry a number of times. Like you're trying to tell me your story and you're crying. That tells me that you're still experiencing the trauma. So I teach my clients how to rebuild their self-esteem, how to rebuild their confidence, because it's completely lost when you're in a relationship and you really need that for your court battle. So we work on that. We work on self-care. You've neglected yourself in your narcissistic relationship because you always put the narcissist first. 
So we talk about relaxation techniques. Do you like yoga, Pilates? What relaxes you? Because there's different things that relax you than like the next person. You have to do relaxation techniques every week because you're preparing for a marathon if you're in a legal battle. And then we talk about documentation. So I tell my clients, I want you to go back as far as you can in your memory banks to the very first incident of abuse and document it. Date, time, incident. Were your children present? If your children were present, how did they react? Because that's something that the that the court pays attention to. They might not care that the narcissist was abusing you, but if they abused you in front of your child, it's a whole nother ball game. So we work on the documentation aspect. And then the last part is communication. I teach them how to communicate with the narcissist because it really is a skill set. Two things we talk about in the narcissist world is gray rock and yellow rock. Gray rock being no contact. Well, when you share kids with the narcissist, you cannot go no contact. You have to communicate with them, especially in your legal battle, because the court is going to see you as a difficult parent if you're no longer in communication in regards to the children. So I teach them a technique called yellow rock, which is what we were just talking about. We do all communication through email or text, and it's non-emotional. You stick to the point and you only communicate about the children. There's nothing else to discuss. You only communicate about the children and you only do necessary communication. Let the narcissist bring up unnecessary things, throw abusive statements at you. Let them go wild in the communication. You just stay stoic, non-emotional, and keep very short sentences. I say simply two to three sentences in a response and that's it. That's all you need and send it back to the narcissist. So I teach them how to do that. And a lot of times my clients will send me emails and they say, please, can you review this for me? So I do a lot of reformatting and rewording <laughs> emails as well prior to the client sending the email to their ex. Alana, you could like freelance for my marketing agency. I always be copywriters. <laughs> That's what I do on a daily basis. <laughs> It's actually something I enjoy doing. emails going, no, no, you don't have to say it's actually the truth. You just say it's the truth. That's (laughs) right. Exactly. Exactly. And my clients, they always want to attack back. And I'm like, no, don't say that. (laughs) No, that's that's for your that's for your novel that you write. That's right. That's exactly right. Let's say (laughs) this instead. That's for your screenplay about your (laughs) Yes. Yes. Always remember that a judge could be reading this communication. So you want to look in your best light (laughs) during this process. Well, I want to talk about your book. Um, As a fellow author, um, you know, I stick to fiction with my books and then I write a lot of nonfiction as, you know, we know that's why we're here. But tell me what inspired you to write the book and tell your story. So the book actually started out as therapeutic journals. I had so much in my head that I just needed to get out after I left the relationship. So I started therapeutic journaling two months after I left and I started opening up and telling my story to other people. And I realized that every time I shared my story, I would come in contact with someone that said, oh my gosh, I'm in a similar situation or I used to be married to a narcissist. And they started asking me questions like, how did you get out? How do you do this? How do you communicate? How did you do that? 
And so I decided to just put my story out there so that I could teach others how to deal with a narcissist, how to get out of the relationship, and then how to deal with post-separation abuse. Because narcissism, dealing with a narcissist is something I feel we don't talk about. Nobody talks about psychological abuse or verbal abuse. If you're not being physically hit, a lot of people think you're not being abused. But mental abuse is harder to recover from. You can heal from bruises. They heal within a week or two. But mental abuse, it takes years to heal from. And I don't think that a lot of people understand that. So I want to educate, yes. you know, even people that haven't been in narcissistic relationships, I want to use the book as an educational tool as well. And I've gotten great feedback from people saying, you know, I learned a lot by reading your book and I know the red flags to look out for while I'm dating. So excellent feedback. I think that's wonderful. And I absolutely love the fact that, you know, you're, you're such like a soul sister when it comes to the idea of like sharing our stories, sharing our truths of, you know, what we've been through. Um, you know, even if it's, it helps one person, then that is wonderful because that's a ripple effect. That one person with the knowledge they have will go and tell two other people and it'll move on and on from there. And you're right. I don't feel like people put enough emphasis on the years it can take from psychological abuse. I think it's getting better. I think conversations like this are really important because it highlights to people what they've done um, and how they've recovered. Right. And when you're able to do that, I feel, you know, people don't feel alone. Right. I always, when I write, sometimes it's very, very hard because I don't know if you felt this way, but when you were writing the book and you're thinking about, did you, did you suddenly kind of feel like there was like kind of like this big spotlight of shame on you? Yes. I thought everything was my fault. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. And it's hard to write about. And then you think, okay, I'm doing it, but I don't want this person to read it or this person to read it. Like, you know, did you go through a little bit of that kind of imposter syndrome? Like if I write this, uh, who will read it and what will they yes, say? Yes. And embarrassment, right? Because I'm embarrassed by a lot of the things that I went through. And I knew that people would say, well, why did you put up with that? You know, like, why did you stay in the relationship? We get that all the time, right? And for a long right. time, that was hard for me to explain. But when you look at the psychology of abuse, you're trauma bonded to your abuser, right? You've been in the relationship for so long that you just normalize the behavior. You were in survivor mode. And you didn't realize what you were going through was actually abuse. Yeah. And many of us, in one way or the other, we, you know, narcissists are really good at choosing us because we're naturally empathetic. Yes. We are naturally um, designed to care for others. Um, they're, they're very good at picking their partners. And a lot of the reasons that sometimes we are like that and we're so hypervigilant is because in one way or the other, we dealt with similar characters and archetypes in our past Correct. and in our childhood. That's exactly right. So now we are reliving it as adults. So when people say, well, how could you stay? Well, I thought that's what is normal. A relationship looks that's like. right. That's exactly right. I was doing my part. 
so, um, so yeah, so I can really see, um, you know, how difficult it can be when, you know, you're trying to explain to people, this happened to me, but the beautiful thing about it, Alana, is that you took something that happened to you that shouldn't happen to anyone and you created something to help others and, and to educate people. That's right. Yes. And I believe that everything happens for a reason. It's a horrible thing that I had to experience, but it's allowing me to help others after the fact. And I love helping others. I love helping my clients and giving them knowledge and just hearing the sigh of relief in their voice when I say I understand I've been through it. Because what do we do when we're telling someone our situation, we feel like we have to over explain because they don't understand. (laughs) So when I stop them in their tracks and I say, I get it, I've been through it. It's like, (sighs) (laughs) yeah, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to go on a, on a, just a little bit of a ledge here, but I, I don't think I'm going to miss far from the mark. Did you go through a period, especially after you left, when all of a sudden it's like the veil had dropped and, you know, you mentioned you told your story. Did you find you t- yourself just like vomiting your story to anyone that would listen, whether like they had like the deer in headlights look and they're like, uh, uh, and you're like sharing just inappropriate. Well, and then, and then, oh, oh, look, another text message. Let me tell you what's happened now. And people are like, people are, you just kind of flood. It's like the floodlight. You're just vomiting. And I think that that is so common with survivors of trauma. And I think that what's so great about what you do is that you give people a safe place to experience that where they can actually get actual help versus maybe well-meaning but poorly executed advice from friends and family who maybe know both parties. Agreed. Agreed. Because I had many members of my family and friends when I was in the throes of going through all kinds of abuse saying, you know, well, you have kids, you know, you should probably stay in the relationship which is not good advice for someone in a psychologically abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And kids, the, the yeah. kids are impacted as well. I don't think anyone thought about that. They thought that by me staying in the marriage, I was helping my kids, but no, my kids were being abused as well. And they're watching their mom be abused. Well, it's abuse by process. Yes. And a lot of people don't understand that. And they, um, they don't see that that's a long-term psychological effect mm-hmm that can affect the children as they get older. Yes. So I know that it was very brave what you did to make the decision to leave. And I know that it was not easy, but from it, you have, you've rebuilt your life and you've created this wonderful coaching practice. You've create, you've written a book, which I mean, just, I love because you would be amazed that there, there are not a lot of us out there that can just sit, sit there, stick to it. So I love that. Um, Tell people where they can find your book. And also, if they're in the situation, they want to reach out to you for coaching, where can they find you for that? Okay. Well, the book is available on Amazon titled, Was It By Fault? And the author, my name is Alana Sharps. If you do a search, you can find the book on there. And people can find me through all my social media. My company name is Sir Thrive Tribe. I took the word survivor and the word thriver and combine them together to make Sir Thrive. 
I have an Instagram handle called Sir Thrive Tribe and also Alana Sharp's handle. I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook business page and my website, SirThriveTribe.com. Awesome. And I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes as well as make sure it's linked in the accompanying article to the show as well. Um, you know, we're coming up to close on our time today. Is there anything that you would like to leave? I always let the guests kind of leave with any sort of final words of inspiration to anyone that might be listening and, and might be wondering if A, they're in that type of relationship or know that they are and need help. What, what would you say to People them? that are currently in the relationship and they're thinking about leaving, please leave. Do not stay in the relationship because a friend's family or you think it's a bad decision. You need to leave and rebuild yourself. People that are in the throes of a legal battle and they think that it's never going to end and they're ready to pull their hair out, things do get better. It's a process. It's a marathon. You're probably going to be in the court system for months or up to years. But if you just stick to the process that I train you on, you stay non-emotional in your communication, things will get better and you can rebuild your life. Beautiful, beautiful advice. And, you know, as always, I tell people, you know, I do this podcast because I want people to feel less alone. I want them to feel like they have support out there and they do. You'll have um, ways to contact Alana. You can contact me. If for some reason you can't find Alana and you want to get connected with her, um, please reach out um, because there are people that can help you. And um, Alana, thank you again so much for today. I appreciate your time. I I'm, can't wait to have you back to talk about more of these topics. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. Please rate, review, and share this episode with your friends. Tune in next week for another episode and check the show notes for ways to connect via social. Until next week, take care. Bye.